Triathlon Show 317. Hey, what's up everybody and welcome back to another episode of That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host, Michael, and on today's episode, I interview Helle Fredriksen, Philip Seip, and Emma Carney. They're back uh, as we did three years ago. We're going to tackle a topic, and each of them will give their opinions and perspectives on that. And uh, the topic that we are discussing today is uh, race planning. So how many races can you do per year and still perform? When should you place those races and so on? It's a really interesting topic, and I think you'll find it very useful. If you want to check out the previous episodes with these three coaches that I have on today, check out, well, first and foremost, episode 314, which was just three weeks ago when we discussed uh, taking a season break. But then their individual episodes are in 279 for Helle Fredriksen, 219 for Philip Seip, and 276 for Emma Carney. You'll find links to those episodes as well as each person's social media and website in the episode description and in the show notes. But before we get into the interview, big thanks to our sponsors, Precision Hydration. Precision Hydration create electrolyte products that you can match to how you sweat and fueling products that make it easy for you to hit your numbers. For electrolytes and sodium, remember that we all have very different sweat rates and different sweat sodium concentrations. So for example, I personally lose more than 2000 milligrams of sodium per liter of sweat, but uh, somebody else might lose just 500 milligrams per liter and uh, or even less than that potentially. Also, that is amplified by the sweat rate. So if I might be sweating two liters per hour when I'm running really hard in a hot, relatively hot race, but some other people might sweat just 0.8 liters per hour. So when you do the math, you can actually see that some people might lose almost 10 times the the amount of sodium that another person does in a race. And, And that obviously needs to be taken into account in the sodium replenishment. Generally speaking, you can, uh, you should maybe try to aim for replacing at least 70% of the sodium that you lose at least in a longer race like a half or full Ironman. So check out precisionhydration.com. They have a free online sweat test that you can use to get a good ballpark estimate for how much sodium you lose in your sweat and a personalized hydration strategy for your next race. And if you want to try try their electrolyte products, you can get 15% off your first order with the promo code DEATTRIATHLONSHOW15. And thank you to Roka. Roka produced exceptional quality triathlon wetsuits, trisuits, swimskins, goggles, performance sunglasses, as well as prescription eyeglasses and sunglasses. If you want to go faster in the water or on the bike, a Roka wetsuit or trisuit might be for you, or if you just want to have a more comfortable, functional and stylish pair of eyeglasses, look to their range of eyewear. Uh, today I want to briefly talk about the Roka Gen 2 Elite Aero Tri-Suit. This suit has been developed and perfected based on wind tunnel and real-world testing, both on the road and in the water. It is designed to provide the optimal balance of aerodynamics, function and comfort from sprint to full-distance triathlons. And just like the Roka wetsuits, uh, the tri-suit comes with the arms-up technology for maximal mobility when swimming. So your tri-suit won't constrain you when you're swimming, which is something that very few tri-suits have as a, as a feature. You can get 20% off your entire Roka order with the promo code that you can get on roka.com forward slash TTS. 
Now let's play the first interview and uh, we'll start with Helle Fredriksen, who is a coach, a former pro triathlete from Denmark, and she is the world record holder for the 7.3 distance. Welcome back to the Triathlon Show, Helle. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good as well. Thank you. Uh, so today uh, we're going to talk a little bit about planning your race season and, and your race schedule. And uh, the way that I've been structuring uh, this uh, topic is a little bit looking at the different kinds of, of athletes that we have. So we have athletes that are focusing on Ironman and 7.3 or, or one or the other even. And then we, of course, have athletes more on the sort of Olympic pathway, the sprint Olympic distance and, and even... Um, juniors in particular that might be racing mostly super sprints and then maybe some classic sprint races and and those sorts of things so uh, first of all do do you think that is it possible to categorize or is it helpful to categorize athletes like that and and then secondly if if that is the case then how, how would you view how these different types of athletes should schedule their racing season yeah i think that's that's a good kind of categorization like you we have like four categories of 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 distances that they're doing but there are also like a category where i think uh, there are many people that combine 70.3 and ironman racing and um, so maybe that is a category too um yeah something like but but else it's really um i think it's a fine category a categorization where i would say like super sprints like super league and very 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 short ones uh, if we're, that's mostly pros that's doing that or elite i'll say that they race like 20 times a year um, they race a lot like we just had uh, here through September. Was that five weekends in a row? I think they raced four, four weekends in a row, league, yeah. right? And within that um, weekend, there are multiple races. So they really, really race a lot, and and they can do that. And for Olympic distance, um, the ITU races, um, they probably race fifteen times a year. Um, where um, I think it's like seven races in the WTS um, overall. Um, so they really need to be consistent throughout the year. And then they also sprinkle in with sprint races and maybe they do some super sprints as well. But now we're talking about pros and when we then come up to, um, which is, you know, super sprint and Olympic distance, this, that is mostly pros doing those, um, you know, on a high level. Then we have the 70.3 uh, specialist. Um, if we talk about pros, then six to seven times um, a year they can race, uh, maybe even complement it into with some Olympic distances to kind of keep them even sharper and faster. Um, that is definitely doable, maybe even eight. Um, depends on how you schedule um, your season and how you incorporate um, training blocks as well. And then you have the Ironman races. Um, and I would say... The best uh, case, in my opinion, is racing twice a year and um, no more than that in the interest of long, longevity. So maybe some pros can do like X three times, but really spread over the whole year. So like if you do your first one in March and the last one in November, but then you shouldn't just, you know, next year, next year, next year, do the same. I think that more is not sustainable than those two times I would, I would in my opinion. And if you if you look at, um the big you know guys in in our sport in in ironman races that that has been there for a long time if we say jan fordino you know timothy o'donnell rini daniela ruf um 
you know, they've been there for so many years, but they don't race a lot. You know, they don't race a lot of Ironmans, if you think about it. Uh, and yep. the ones that, you know, are racing a lot of Ironmans, the question is, do they really perform when it really matters? Um, you know, they, they, they do perform, but do they perform on the biggest stage? And could they perform better if they raced less Ironmans? You know, that I always have that question when I see, wow, is he racing again? Wow. That is that is very very tasking on the body. Um, so I would say for Ironman races, yeah, twice twice a year, and then sprinkle in some seventy point trees. What they do, like maybe four, they can do three or four to mm. kind of again race, keep the momentum sharp and fast. Because for pros like Ironman racing, it is it's getting fast. You know, it is getting very fast. So you need to be on or else it, it's game over, especially on the biggest stage. Yeah. Let's stay here on the pro side for a little bit before we jump into the age groupers. Uh, and first, if, if you talk about the 7.3 specialists that you said can maybe race six to eight times per year um, mm-hmm. at the high end, how, how would you, in an ideal world, schedule those races? Would you have a, a couple of them or even three of them in a short racing block, or, or would you try to schedule them evenly throughout the year? What would you say would be ideal? Yeah, so I would like to to have, you know, two or three close to each other, um, relatively close, like, you know, two or three weeks, and then um, maybe even less sometimes. You, you, some pros can do back-to-back, but two or three weeks for 70.3. And then you, you schedule in a solid amount of training because if you just keep um, if you just keep racing and racing and racing, you know, they – it will decline um your performance will decline and your fitness will decline yeah you get you can get a fitness boost from races but it's just not the same as a consistent block of training because when it is you're racing you need to recover uh, rest a bit or taper a bit into the race then you need to rest and recover after so you don't get injured or ill so it always takes like if you do a 70.3 it almost takes a week of work away And it's a lot in the long run. So you just can't keep doing it. So almost the worst you can do is to put them evenly throughout the year, in my opinion. So like you do one every month or every third week, because then there's no time to train. Like there is only very few days in between every races where you can actually get some solid work in. Yeah. And what about if you do uh, two Ironmans and three or four seven threes through a year? How how would you ideally schedule them? Yeah, I would also like to spread them out as well. So like you have the Ironman in early Ironman, maybe in in between March and April, and then the, the late one anywhere from October to November. Um, if you if you can put it in like that, I would like to get a 70.3 in before if possible. But if you do a very early one, maybe it's not possible. But just to get going again and the same before um, you have a mid-season break and then you have maybe one or two 70.3s before your big dance in the end of the season, which is an Ironman hmm. often. Yep. I like to build it up like that. Yeah, And I would it. say for like age groupers, like, you know, doing, you know, one Ironman, uh, but then having maybe two 70.3s and maybe like one Olympic race, a distant race or like a running race to start out the year with. And then maybe have a 70.3 distance to kind of get into the proper groove of the distance as well. And then you have your Ironman race. Maybe you have a bit of break 
And then you maybe have a later in the season, you have another 70-point tree that you really target. I like mm-hmm. that setup too. Yeah. So so if we discuss uh, the age reaper side a bit more specifically here, first we can go back to, there, there are a lot of age reapers that, that also that listen to this podcast, even though sometimes it feels like I do focus a lot on this half and full distance side, but, but I try to mix in a lot of uh, Olympic and sprint distance, at least from the pro side of things, maybe mm-hmm. not so much on the age reaper side. But I'm going to ask you here, if you are an age reaper and you focus mostly on sprint and Olympic distance races, how, how many times per year roughly would you say that it's possible for them to race? Well, you know, it's all individual, but I say like for Olympic distance racing, maybe like five times a year and then some sprints in as well. Um, a couple of sprints if, you're, if your focus in is Olympic distance. I think that's, that's doable. Of course, it depends on your family and your work. If it's possible, if you have local races, then um, it's definitely possible to do around that. I will also say like, yeah, of course, we can all do um, so many, right, if we just go through the motion. But I really would encourage them to like an Olympic distance is not easier in any way than a 70.3. It is just shorter, but it's just so fast and hard. Like, so you, you know, you want to train yourself to be able to tolerate this high intensity. And I like to say like for when I was doing Olympic distance racing, if I couldn't taste blood, I was not pushing hard enough. Like it is really intense. So it's also that willingness to just push yourself and just really back yourself that you're fit enough to tolerate this pain that uh, um, an Olympic distance if you and an Olympic distance gives you. And if you do that, then the recovery after a 10k flat out can got can take a little bit of time. So and and there we are back to again. Then we want to recover. We want to you know. Uh, adapt uh, the fitness that we got from the race and then build some more training in so that we hopefully can progress throughout the season yeah no it's good that you mentioned there that there's a difference between like can you do something versus should you do it and 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 i guess that that's something that i should uh, should make clear that uh yeah we're talking here about what is recommended from a perspective of you do want to perform in these races not yeah. that you just want to finish them yeah so um so yeah uh, and i think like for the pros right that that they're maybe doing these 15 olympic distance races they it's a lot of racing they're doing back to back and it's tough and they travel from one end of the world to another it's really really tough and you know they also can't you know sustain it and uh, you see how you know the consistency of the athletes like it's of course, the, the world champion is the one that is most consistent, but you see a lot of people that they just simply can't hold it throughout the season because it is so tasking to do so many races. Yeah, yeah. And uh, for age groupers that do uh, up to 7.3 distance races but but not doing Ironmans, how many races do you think that they can do and still perform? For age groupers? Yeah. Um, I would say like three or four uh, would be a good um to have for for 70.3 specialist <clears throat> again it's back to uh time commitment and, and work and everything you know and how much you are able to train a week because um the more volume you can tolerate and have time to do um the better conditioning you have and the faster you recover as well so that is the parameter as well you need to think of um so if you only are training like five hours a week you know, you you uh, you can't cope with as much racing, and um, because the body is not um, 
is not trained to recover as faster as fast as if you're training a little bit more plus like a 70.3 the the length of that is is a long time if you're only training five hours a week Um, and so it's again it's a balance of how much do you train how much time do you have and compared to what is the recommendation of how many should you do yeah and finally what do you recommend for for ironman can age groupers also target two ironmans or should they limit themselves to to one uh, target ironman um i like to to limit the one to to one um but they can do two but it has to be spread again very spread like from beginning of the season and the end of the season um it could be you know that they want to try and qualify for kona and then we kind of trying to put in a late one in the season so that we're qualified for next year but else i would prefer to to focus on 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 one ironman and then do two or three 70 point trees along the way yeah yeah um and uh, on the other hand like or not on the other hand necessarily but but do you think that uh, it is beneficial to well, do you think that 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 is also beneficial to do race a few races as we've been discussing here mm. up to a certain point because you learn things from racing, or yeah. or do you think that it's it's also equally fine to actually race quite a bit less than than these kind of maximum recommendations we've been giving? It's absolutely fine to race less. Um, I think racing very little, which sometimes we have to do because we we can't race or the races are getting cancelled or whatever, then we can sprinkle in some other, you know, fun things in the training where we're simulating racing. But the it's it there are like for, for racing there are very many good things about it. Like, you know, it get under your skin, it gets more automated, you get faster transition, you know what to do and you don't overcomplicate things and it also builds confidence, you know, when you go out and it's like, oh, I surprised myself in this one. And then the next one suddenly just seems easier um, because you've been somewhere where you didn't think that you could actually go. So then it's like, ah, I felt that last time, you know, on that last 10K run. So I can do it again. Um, so that building confidence is really important. And there's just nothing better than getting a number on. Something changes, Um in your mindset when you get that number on and just the willingness to hurt is 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 probably bigger um when you're racing absolutely yeah so there's definitely many pros um beneficials about racing for sure Mm. and uh you mentioned that one big aspect of how much you can race is how much you're training or how fit you are because that impacts your recovery uh so so if you get fitter, if you increase your training amount, then over time you will build yourself up to be able to tolerate more racing. Are, is there anything else you can do to kind of train yourself to race more or even just different recovery techniques that you can use uh, to to recover faster if you're, let's say, in a racing block where you will do two Olympic or single three races two or three weeks apart? Do you have any any recommendations there? Like recovery techniques, recovery techniques, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I guess I asked two questions in one there. We yeah, can recovery techniques, <laughs> oh, but that's fine. Yeah, like for sure with with the recovery. Oh yeah, uh, absolutely. Like active recovery, like straight after races, you know, like spinning the legs, um, is is a good thing to do. Like we we committed to always bringing a trainer um, at race sites. So in the hotel room, I would straight away be on the trainer. Um, you know, it's a commitment, uh, but it meant that I would straight away be, you know, spinning my legs out or 
jump in the ocean again if it's been you know when you're still after you got your a little bit of recovery a shake or food jump in the ocean and then you know do a bit of active recovery straight away and there's the static recovery you know um, it can be Epsom bath you know you can do that in the hotel room after the race those boots um, you can have different recovery boots and massas and so it's it's again back of like um, discipline and thinking ahead um also like having prepared you know maybe a, a recovery shake that you have in your race bag um so that you can get it when you cross the finish line or that your better half is giving it to you when you cross the finish line this it's just all combination all these small things that makes you recover faster and being able to tolerate more start to train earlier again um and then also be able to race more so there are definitely some recovery um, tools you can use and if you think about um tour de france you know after the long long stages you often see them on their trainer afterwards and then doing the interviews because they need to spin their legs yeah um, so it's really important those things yeah uh, do you find out of curiosity that the which one if you if you could choose if if both are possible a recovery swim in the ocean or in the lake after the race or a recovery spin on the trainer in the hotel room which one do you think is more effective for recovering i think like to get a better kind of an wouldn't call it a session but a better period of time where you where you're active i think getting on the bike because if you are doing it straight after the race you know going for a swim Often it becomes more floating than anything else because, ah, oh, this is nice, you know, after yeah. the race, this is so good. I'm just lying here. Ah, uh, you know, you not, you maybe if you get 10 minutes in, you're lucky. Whereas like if you, if you jump on the bike, it's like you would likely say, okay, at least I'm going to spin my legs for half an hour, honey, at least, you know, now I've gone to the effort of doing that. So I think you would get more out of actually spinning your legs on the bike. And if you have a trainer, And you have people to talk with next to you while you're doing it, even better, right? Then you're doing it, you you can t talk about all the war stories at the same time as you are spinning your legs. So I think that the the spinning your legs is, it might be most beneficial, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I think probably I, I would say, this, I have guessed the same, but just because the risk is that you're just going through the motions if you uh, mm -hmm. if you get in the in the lake or in the ocean even though and, and sometimes sounds, it's also it nice sounds like the nicer option <laughs> yeah like it, it's also nice to do maybe do both right but it's also really nice you know you get something cold to drink and then you just hop in the ocean especially if it's a hot race and you know again like with with some of your competitors uh, that you can speak about how it went out there and it, it's just a nice thing and i think that taking in you know that um post race vibe is just so important for yeah for the sport it's i guess getting over that finish line and, and and chatting is the best um and yeah if you then can have someone that's just handed you this recovery shake then you know you're already a step forward for in front right yeah we <coughs> we talked about um how in the race scheduling segment of, of this interview about how uh, in some cases you might want to schedule a block of races races like two or three races and then a get in a longer block of training rather than spreading the race out evenly which i think makes perfect sense uh but can you clarify a bit how how long of a training block would you usually want to have 
if you schedule a race like this, what is kind of a good duration for, of training to get in between race race blocks? So like a six-week block is a very good time to have um, if you're racing quite a lot and you're having that in the mid-season or you can even have it twice a year. Um, but six weeks, you can really get back to basic and in. You can really do a lot of small micro kind of cycles of work where you get back to some strength training and some VO2 max training you know, so you get a little bit in again, so you kind of build that uh, resilient again before you you're building more speed and getting even faster for the next uh, block of racing. Mm, yeah. Um, and do you have anything else to mention on the on this topic on race scheduling or planning your racing season that we have missed? No, I think we uh, we covered a lot. <laughs> yeah. So I think uh, no, I'm I'm all good. Great. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Helle. It was great to talk to you again and I hope to speak to you again another time soon. You're very welcome. And next we have Philip Seip, who is a German coach who coaches athletes like Laura Philip, Sebastian Keenley, Florian Angert, and he is the founder of the coaching business Kickass Sports. And welcome back to that triathlon show, Philip Seip. How are you doing? Hi, thank you for your invitation. I'm doing great it's great great to have you back and uh as last time we have a, a kind of a shorter shorter interview on store uh, where we will discuss uh, the topic of uh, race planning so planning your season with with how many races to do and uh, things of that nature so what i've been doing in these other interviews is is kind of breaking it down a little bit in different categories so you have your ironman specialists you might have 73 specialists and then you have of course your classic olympic and sprint distance athletes and and now and you even have for perhaps like a junior athletes in particular that might might be doing a lot of super sprints and mixed relays and so on so there are a lot of different categories here um first of all i would i would ask you is is this how you look at things or do you think that the the types of races an athlete is doing that that really impacts how to plan your season or do you look at it in a different manner perhaps this is a good question, and usually I try to to include everything in um, the thoughts we do prior to a season, and then you have like a profile of an athlete, um, like is he very sensitive or not, or um, which goals do we have? Do we have to reach some points for ranking? Do we have to qualify for Olympics, Hawaii, whatever? Um, and then which distance he has to race or she has to race and um and so so you get closer to the point yeah? and then you have the the outside information like the race calendar so and then you have like preference races then you have races where there's a lot of prize money then you have races where there's a lot of sponsor primes so um and all these influences uh yeah we we discuss and that, then we bring it to a talk and then we decide which races are, uh, yeah, on our plan. All right. And uh, if we first discuss the quantity of races that, and, and we can perhaps start with discussing professionals, uh, and and then we can discuss age groupers after that. So, so how many races would you typically say is reasonable for a professional athlete to do? And and you can maybe split it here into the different categories like Ironman and half Ironman. I think you're allowed to race as much as you are able to recover and as much as you're able to perform at your absolute top level. So so when I bring an athlete to a race, I want 
him or her to perform at the best level he can at this point. And um, so you're simply limited. And then I try to plan like development time, like time for just for plane training, just doing your homeworks. And uh, so this, the, so the year is structured. And so what I care about is, do you have enough time for your development in a year? And then we can place, place the racing. And um, there are different development tasks for athletes. And if you spend time a lot of in, uh, let's say, injury, you have less development time and less time for racing. So the calendar will be much smaller. Um, yeah. And the other thing is, like, you ask for different distances. I think, like, long distances, lost, long distance racing takes a lot from an athlete if you want to get to your best performance level. If you're, if you agree, for example, as a pro, you take a disadvantage of 15 minutes. So you can do maybe five to eight long distance races. Uh, but you're never at the peak performance. So, but it's about winning a race in the pro level. So we decide to focus on two or three long distance races per year on the very high level. And I say most of the athletes, yeah, they, they can race two world-class long distance races per year. Yeah. And what about half distance races? Uh, if I assume when you say long distance, are you referring to full distance Ironmans or would you, or did you refer to both half and full distance races? No, this answer was uh, referred to full long distance Ironman yeah. racing. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, so if we bring in the half distance races to the mix here, how many half distance races? First of all, if, if you are an athlete that you do those two full distance races, mm -hmm. how many half distance races would be reasonable for them to additionally do normally on a, on average sort of? I think this is a hard question to give in just one answer. Um, yeah. It's like if you have a super experienced athlete who's healthy and who can cover it the uh, the time after, um, then you're able to, to add four to five of these races in your calendar. Um And it's always to ask if you want to do it at the highest level. Um, yeah, then, then you need a preparation week. Then you need a recovery week or at least three to five days uh, to get back to proper training or to, to react on training. This is more interesting. Like they, you can get back on Tuesday or Wednesday. Um, but I think this training simply doesn't work if you're not recovered from, from the race. Um, so yeah, as long as I have enough time, uh, for my preparation or you can use the 70.3 race to prepare an Ironman. So yeah, this is a difficult ask. Um, and then in the end, it's a ask of your energy levels, um, more, more mental and then hard physical energy levels like a metabolic profiling it's more like if you have a 70.3 race in st george for example yet now with the 70.3 worlds i think this is a demanding 70.3 with the up and downhill with the traveling from europe to uh to utah or and a time shift and a world championship race and uh Yeah, so the, the heat adaption, so there's a lot. And I think this race takes a lot of time in your calendar. Like if you you, you need yep. at least for 
nine hour time shift you need 10 days to uh, get into this time zone if you want to have a proper preparation then you have to deal with the heat at some point and then you have this downhill running so in total this is at least three weeks this race mm. to have it at the top level yeah yeah that, that's it's those are all really excellent points and really good that you bring up uh, all of those things mm. that that should be considered uh what about if we're talking about age groupers? I won't. I won't ask you to give any specific numbers, but we said that age groupers generally should race or can tolerate less racing than than pros and should probably race less than the average age grouper should should race less than an average pro. Or do you think it's not that that simple? I, for me and my feeling, like racing is a highlight in the year schedule, and you prepare for racing, and um, it's not your job, so it's more your hobby. And, um, like it, I, I feel that many age groupers have a high excitement level for the racing and they explore like a new terrain for themselves. Then it's often connected to traveling. And I had, uh, um, yeah, I saw that many people have much more stress getting to a race and they, they need time to, um, yeah, to build the bike, to take, like, it's not, um, that structured with like with a pro um, so so I recommend to take time for racing and I think for example um, an experienced age group athlete is for example able to have like let's say two times Olympic distance per year two times 70.3 and one long distance and but it, there's still like you, you have to to have a good planning for it and maybe you have two races with a longer travel travel yeah, some like one race abroad or wherever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, so um, yeah, and and yeah, completely. I'm on the same page there with the when you're traveling to a race, uh, traveling abroad, when you're flying, it's it's always a lot more that goes into that than if you can just take your car there. And and uh, but still, there's always the kind of even if you don't necessarily need to build your bike from the bike bag you, you still need to maybe bring it to the mechanic before the race so so of course there's a lot to go on that goes on there and when you have a work besides that to take care of that yeah it does add a lot of stress and i think if you have too much stress prior to a race then the race is not yeah you won't perform very good so so it's interesting to have this step back think about what you need to have long preparation to start start early to prepare for a race like order your tires order your inner tubes or build a tubeless system um think what you need of um, nutrition on race day if you start with these sinkings like five or ten days ahead of the race i'm pretty sure you get stressed and you don't perform at your level and you can have a like a great training block ahead um so it's more like a structured work yeah also i think if you're too stressed before the race then you might not even enjoy the race as much as you otherwise would or, or actually enjoy it at all it can be a bit uh, of a dreadful experience in in that situation if you have just been carrying so much stress into it so so i think what you say there about uh, seeing it as a highlight of the year and planning for it to allow it to take some uh, to take time and maybe planning a bit a few extra days of of work before the race that that makes a lot of sense Yes, for for traveling, off work, preparing everything. There, there's a lot to do, and yeah. When when I feel like I'm I'm really stressed sometimes when I travel with my athletes, and I like, for example, the at the after uh, evening after Klagenfurt with Laura, um, 
I fall asleep earlier than she did because I was completely done Sunday evening. So, yeah. so yeah. This, even if, as a supporter and then imagine I would have raised the race. So, um, I, I think we underestimate the stress levels around the race. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you you mentioned there that some experienced pros can can maybe race more than others so so would you, what do you think it is that makes an athlete, some athletes able to race more than others is it physical development or just the habituation being used to racing more over years and years building up to it or is it mental differences between athletes do what do you think are the the factors there This is this is hard to 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 say. I I think we see like super good athletes, um, like like let's say Jan Frodeno or someone like like him. Um, people they they get back, um, they go at a place where they are confident, where they can prepare on their own, and they get out racing on a super super high level. And um, if I see other athletes racing much more or all over the world, um, they have a deficit in the outcome. Like they, they, in, in average, they are slower. So, um, I, I think, um, if you race less, you get closer to your abilities, like to your, um, what you can reach at the best day. Um, if you race more, you are able to race more. I, I'm sure you can race five or six long distance races per year, but, um, you will have a yeah your your consistency is pretty lower or your average time will get down um yeah so and and yes and if you simply have less development time over the year like you have less high quality training time and we know that high performance is predicted by development time like deep it's on the one hand it's like deep learning on the other hand it's time under pressure and training and like consistent training weeks yeah yeah and uh, getting to that training time a little bit yeah. and we can also discuss how to place races in the calendar so uh, well you actually said already that it, it really depends on what the athlete is working on how, how long of a development block you need but when it comes to placing races and, and the, the time between races what do you think is enough time for to be able to get in a good block standard block of training between races and and actually improve rather than just maintain your your level and uh, yeah you're realizing that it will depend massively but but if you want to give any general guidelines perhaps uh, perhaps more so towards age groupers that that have more room to grow and, and a little bit less critical to get the training absolutely perfectly right and they can still improve what, what would you say is a good amount of time for a training block between races Or it's it's hard to give one answer. Again, maybe I can do um, two examples. Sure. Yeah. Um, one nice example is this spring. Um, we planned to race. I think it was Texas. Then it got cancelled, and uh, we skipped Texas to race Armin Tulsa with Florian. And it felt for me as a coach, it felt like they. I got dropped from time in the development. So I we already started the Ironman preparation and uh, the peak performance 
and then they they canceled Texas and we had to replan everything. And then um, like my development time I'm fighting for was cut down. And um, then you have to think what how to use the time even to peak at this point where you want to be. And so it was like, I think it was skipped by six weeks. And these six weeks are were, were somewhere missing in the year. Um, and then like after Tulsa, we sat back and decided, okay, we have like Shamarin as the next big goal. And um, then we designed and we dis discussed what, what we have to do and how we have to work. And so we set new races in the calendar. And so we had to peak for Shamarin was, uh, um, yeah, getting faster, but a little bit less efficient. And then another four weeks to prepare the Ironman to get the VLA down or yeah, whatever. Um, to, to get efficient again. And, um, the better I know an athlete, the better I can set the, the times, um, to get influence on the metabolic profile, which is the dominant factor for long distance racing. I think this is, this yep. is, and how I can deal with it. And the second example is, um, yeah, if you have like long term goals, like improving your movement pattern, or if you want to get a, better fat oxidation, better VO2 uh, and stuff like this. Um, I think you should plan at least like, like eight, eight week blocks. It's a minimum um, knowing that eight week blocks are not sufficient for big steps. Yeah, that's good. Uh, those, those are two, two great examples to, yeah. to, to illustrate a little bit and, yeah. and help. And in eight weeks you can do like a very good economization training. I think this is a, pretty short-term working job yeah like this efficiency can, can you can you can you explain for listeners what you mean by economization um for for example like lowering the vla for an ironman it yeah yep. so so th this is like if you know to press the right buttons and training um to lower the vla um yeah it's like focused three weeks between a mid distance and a long distance race, then you can uh, do the relevant steps in this block and then start tapering, get, go racing and have a good race. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's great. And uh, well, final question uh, is do you, what sort of recovery techniques after races uh, do you use or pres prescribe to your athletes to use what, what what do you recommend to recover as quickly as possible from a race i think the most important thing is to to refuel as quick as possible after the race um so so many people might laugh but if you have some of your race fueling left after the finish line just drink it um so to to get in the carbs again and you okay for sure you should add some uh proteins and stuff uh so this is the first step to recovery um make sure you have a proper night sleep S stay stay in training or just move um and then there are the classic stuff like let's say ice then you have like the external pressure like the psr system um then you have like physiotherapy um i think it's super interesting like I think classical massage is underestimated in effect. Like you can uh, start parasympathetic process very good by having a back massage or the legs. So yeah, getting rid of um, the yeah like the um, 
products from racing and the faster you recover in it. And then you have to judge how intense the psychological work was during racing, like how intense the pressure was. Uh, if Was it a world championship race or ju just like uh, the next race around the corner? Yeah, that's perfect. Uh, thank you so much, Philip. Oh, do you have any anything else to add on, by the way, on race planning uh, and anything that's, that stands out or that you can think of that, that would be helpful uh, before we say goodbye? Uh, no, but I have to say sorry that I don't have like a precise prescription for it. So this is, was like an uh, it depends on answer all the time. Uh, yeah, I but I, I think I think that's where uh, what you you're doing is exactly right. Using a few different examples and then that can kind of give an idea of the thought process that goes on uh, when when you take the decision for yourself. Yeah. So so that is uh, that is the, the a, great, a great way to go about it. Yeah, and I think the the only true answer is that we have to find individual ways from a strong fundament like having the scientific background and yeah or like n knowing what the theory says and then knowing the person and getting in a good dialogue and finding indiv individual solutions so this is like in the end this is my job as a coach and yeah to steering together um yeah into a to the goals yeah Yeah, no, 100% agreed. And, and it's, uh, that's a great, great point to end on. So, so yeah. thank you so much, Philip. It was great to catch up again and looking forward to the next time. Thank you very much. And finally, we have Emma Carney, double ITU world champion and coach uh, from Australia. Welcome back to that triathlon show, Emma. How are you doing? Very good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming back again uh, for another round. So this time I want to chat about how many races you recommend doing in a year, how to plan your season, if you will. And uh, I think that, I, as we will probably get into, we, there are so many different types of athletes and racers. You have anything from athletes specializing in super short races to, to Ironman uh, specialists. And of course, we have both pro, the pro side of things and the age group side of things. So so can you maybe discuss a little bit about how you view those different types of racing styles or, or athletes and how they might think about um, planning their racing season? Well, I mean, triathlon is becoming like swimming now because we've got so many events. And I think um, coaching, you know, now needs to start have sort of specialist areas like, you know, cycling, you've got track, mountain bike, BMX, road, time trial, We're almost getting to that stage now in triathlon where you've got, you know, the sprint, um, ultra short stuff, relays, um, classic sprint, Olympic distance, 70.3s, Ironman, and it's all, it's all very different athletes and very different ages of athletes. So generally speaking, the younger the athlete, the shorter the distance, I believe. And um, as you age, you know, you, you generally lose speed, so you go up the distance. So that's, I think that's the beauty of triathlon is that you, um, you can actually hang around till you're 40 because we've now, we've got the Ironman racing. Um, but yeah, I think also with racing, we, we shouldn't forget the single discipline as well. I think the usefulness of track running, track races and the usefulness of, um, bike racing, you know, as in a road race, not just a criterium race, I think. A road race and learning how to suffer and how to really, you know, get 
to the final destination on your bike and open water swim races are really good in Australia. And the thing that they do is they really hone your skills on racing but they don't take as much out of you as a full triathlon. So I think it's really important that people also consider those races as well. Mm, yeah, no, that, that's an excellent point. Um, if, if we discuss sort of the the quantity of races you can do maybe maybe we start from the 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 ironman side of things that might be a little bit easier i think than the shorter side of things but if if we have uh an athlete that their main goal is to do ironman athletes and we can talk about the age group side of things here how how many ironman races would you say that is possible to do in a season and how would you space them apart Ironman racing, I'm I'm really surprised when people do more than two or three a year. I just it, it is such such a long event. I come from a running background and um, you know, when I was a kid, you could probably do two marathons a year. And um, you know, not that I have ever done a marathon, but watching the elite marathoners in the world um, a lot of them, you know, back in the day used to skip the Olympics because they would go and do a, a major city marathon to maximise their income. But now the Olympics is, you know, such a, a high profile. So the recovery for an Ironman, I just, I really can't see that you can do three really good ones in a year. But, I mean, I've, um, I could be proven wrong and, and athletes do vary on how they um, recover and a lot of athletes use races rather than training at times. So they may actually, you know, use an Ironman race to get their cells fitter for the next one. Um, but, yeah, I'm not sure if I've answered the question. <laughs> well, no, I think I think you have. I think, I mean, I, I would agree with the general sentiment. If, if you want to perform in the races, I would be hesitant to recommend more than, I mean, three three races might be might be possible. Uh, it, it's a stretch for a lot of people, I think. Yeah. Two races, yeah, two two is definitely uh, very very well within the reach of uh, may, maybe not for your first year of doing Ironman for everybody, but for somebody who's done at least one before, I, I would yeah. say that, yeah, two two is totally doable. Three maybe depending on the athlete, and and more than yeah. that, then it yeah, you you have of course certain athletes that can do that, but I, I would say that that's more the exception than the rule. Yeah. Um- I'm really amazed when people talk about how many Ironman events they've done and it, it comes to a question of whether you want to finish the event or whether you want to do well at the event. Exactly. Yeah. Finishing, yeah, finishing and doing well is very, very, very different things. Um, yeah. And I always assume people want to do well at the event. They don't just want to finish. Yeah. That's my assumption. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I think that f- for the purpose of this discussion, we can we can go with that assumption because yeah. there are all sorts of, you know, you have people doing fifty Ironmans in yeah. one hundred one hundred <laughs> Ironmans in one hundred days. Or yeah, it's like and what wow. <laughs> but yeah, uh, would, yeah. What, what if I we go down? <laughs> I think yeah, yeah, definitely. What if we go down to the seventy point three distance? Somebody specializing in seventy point three distance racing. What is your how how do you view that? Oh God, I've got to. I'd have to look at the individual athlete, but seventy point three. I wouldn't really want them to do more than I don't know one every three to four months. Like I still would like. Because I come from the background of running and I also come from the belief of less is more. 
So I would rather they did, say, an Olympic distance race or a classic distance race to get themselves ready for the 70.3 rather than keep belting themselves at that pace that they need to do. It's kind of like I always say a marathoner doesn't run a marathon every day to know they need to run, to need to, to need to know that they can run a marathon. So they do a lot of 10K races. Uh, and that gets them some speed and, you know, works on, on that side of, of the event. So 70.3, maybe four a year, but that, yep. that, may, be, that may be underdoing it. I don't know because I've seen a lot of people do a lot of 70.3s and my body just aches watching it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So maybe I've gone soft, but I, to do well, you, you've got to give yourself recovery time and you've got to get yourself back to be able to, you know, build and then um, work on the intensity and get your, get yourself back again. Yeah. Yeah, I, and I think the, the discussion here can be quite different depending on if we talk about pros or amateurs because pros yeah. also have to make a living. So you see a lot of pros doing a lot of 3.3s because they can do it and and they can make money, they can make get some prize money even if they're not at the absolute top of their game, if they're a really good athlete mm. and they choose the right race. So, so of course, it's very understandable that they, they choose to do more. But if you're an age grouper and you want to see how high you can place or if you can beat your PB or something, then, then yeah, it probably makes sense to, to limit it to four is still quite a lot if you're racing in four, five, six hours. It's, yeah. it's quite, quite a lot of of long it's it's essentially by the definition of ultra endurance it, it is kind of an ultra endurance event when you go yeah, past at four hours so yeah. yeah and if we go down further than to the classic um olympic and sprint distance athlete and uh, here we can talk a, a bit about i guess younger athletes as well younger and and elite athletes that are focusing on on this what what's your opinion on that well, when I was racing Olympic distance um, or classic distance race, it was um, there would have been fourteen races a year, um, but that combines an international season and a domestic season down in Australia. So you do about seven races of each. Um, so world, you know, world triathlon back ITU back in the day. Um, you know, I'd do seven or eight World Cups, which are now the WTSs. And domestically, I would have close to seven or eight. So that was, um, I didn't actually realize until I wrote my book, but looking back, that was a hell of a lot of racing. And it was a, it was a lot, of, lot of work to keep having to come up and um, perform for. Then obviously, you know, you've got to perform. We had a world championship was one particular race every year. So we had to have a major peak every year. So that was, that was quite complicated. With regard to consecutive weekends of racing, I would only, I found that I could do two consecutive weekends of racing and I was okay. When I had a third race on the third weekend, and this is, you know, 1.5, 40 and 10, um, that third race was, you could feel the tiredness in your body. And the other point that I had was preparing myself for an Olympic distance race sort of at the start of the season, I'd use a sprint event ideally two weeks out, just to sort of get my body up to speed and um, then race a really good Olympic distance race. Mm, yeah. 
What do you think about uh, athletes that are at the junior level, maybe under 23 level, they're coming up in the sport? Is this sort of race schedule something they have to build up to and you have to be a bit careful with them and uh, sort of build up to that gradually over a few seasons or years and and race a bit less frequently at the beginning? Or do you think they actually can, can race a lot and benefit from getting that race experience? No, I, I think you've got to be very extremely careful with the developing the um, you know youth junior under twenty three. Um, under twenty three, I I don't like the idea of a classic distance race or you know the one point five forty and ten until they are twenty one twenty two. So that first year in the under twenty three under twenty threes, I think is a little bit young to be doing that. You know, a good solid two hour race. Um, I, I like in the youth and the junior to focus more on the individual disciplines. Like I like 800-metre track running, 1,500-metre track running and learning the skills of racing under pressure with much less time out on the race. I, I really like that. And races are kept to sort of sprinting, um, super sprints and things like that. Mm, yeah. Uh, what are the potential uh, benefits of racing quite frequently we have talked about yeah it can be difficult to reach your absolute peak performance but but in terms of gaining race experience and learning how to do do you see that there might be benefits of uh, of racing racing quite a bit racing um is absolutely vital um racing there's nowhere to hide with racing and racing rips apart and rips open every weakness an athlete has so you, you you could be training really well, but a race and, you know, the first across the line wins, that sort of um, do or die of racing I think is absolutely invaluable to athletes. And, um, I mean, I, I, I think a really good example and um, in, in Australia compared to when I was racing, we had, we had three major race series going on the, around the country in our summer. Now we have none and the athletes' performances have dropped. And that's, no, that's not a lack of talent in the athletes and that's not a, a lack of um, ability of athletes and that's no fault of the athletes. But that's just the pure fact that when they come home to Australia, the opportunities of racing, which cannot be, cannot be reconstructed in a training environment, are just not there anymore. So racing is absolutely vital and you've got to work out, as you do in training, you've got to work out that balance that works for you and you've got to work out it's a very fine line when it does become elite sport because you go a little bit too far in your engine and you don't go far enough and you haven't maximised your potential. So it's a, it's a very fine line that you need to tread. Yeah. What about at the longer distances? Um, do you think the same applies there? But then again, the cost-benefit ratio might be different because the cost of racing a longer race is so so high. But do you think that there is a case for, in some situations, maybe let's say an athlete that is moving moving out of the world triathlon racing scene and they're stepping up to race seven point three and they want to learn their craft at this new type of racing? Does it make sense for an athlete like that to? to try to get in quite a bit of racing their first season to as they're learning the ropes and uh, seeing how they can best be competitive or would you still would you perhaps rather be conservative at the beginning and build up to doing more races ah oh, it's that's 
it de- again, it depends on the athlete. Um, so if we look at, um, oh, I've forgotten his name, the, um, Norwegian. Gustav Eden or Christian Blumfeldt. Yeah. Yep. And Gustav, you, you see how he can walk out of a, you know, WTS race and go to a 70.3 and clean up. And then yep. he can go back into – so it, it depends on the type of athlete, but he can walk in and out, I think. He can switch in and out um, easily for the next couple of years. He's got that ability. Um, and then you look at a slightly older athlete like um, Jan Fredino, and he's going to – he wouldn't be able to walk back into a world um, WTS race, but he could do 70.3 in Ironman. Um, so you've got – You've got the different athletes that are at different stages of their career which can flick in and out of different distances. Um, but, yeah, I, it'll, it'll be interesting to see um, if Christian can do it as well. Um, yeah. Because he was talking about doing Hawaii, wasn't he? Yes, uh, he is. <laughs> and uh, I, th- I think Gustav is also, uh, assuming he gets a, gets a qualification, well, yep. I guess the next World Championships will be St. George now. But yep. uh but yeah, I think they're both. Uh, Gustav is still not qualified for Hawaii, but but I think that his plan is if he enjoys the Ironman, he's going to yeah. do it, and and he will want to win it. So yeah, it'll be exciting. And, <laughs> yeah, and um, that's what, it's really interesting how um, and watching these different athletes, you know, move in and out of different distances, and it's really interesting who adapts really well, who doesn't. Um, so yeah, I, that's what I really love about the sport of triathlon is that you you can change the game each time in a different discipline and uh, in a different distance and it's yeah it's always interesting yeah what about on the age group side do you think that there are a lot of age groupers that could actually that are actually under racing a bit so that they don't get all the race experience that they might need to really be able to optimize their uh, potential yeah possibly but i mean we, we come back down to the cost of it as well yeah. Um, you know, it's it's really quite expensive to get to races, and you know, um, it's yeah, it's a, it's a big cost, and I I do think that a lot of age group athletes could possibly use you know running events and things like that to fine tune for um, Ironman. You know, they could go and do a, a local marathon or something like that, and focus on certain areas, but. The cost of the cost of racing is really quite restrictive, I think, for age group athletes. Yeah, yeah, and especially, it, I think this is very much depending on the country. If you're limited yeah. to what Challenge and Ironman has to offer, then then yes, it is quite prohibitive. Uh, here in Portugal, we actually our federation puts up brilliant races for, of course, both sprint and Olympic distance. Uh, the majority of races are sprint distance races, but then we also have a fair few half-distance races uh, and something that is maybe slightly shorter than half-distance but long, much longer than Olympic distance. So so a good number of of, uh, of races that are basically free, free for athletes that are a member of a club belonging to the federation. So, so actually, uh, it allows you to race a lot if, if you so should choose here and a lot of people do that so you have the same people turning up to all of these races and can race each other kind of like you had in australia with those different yeah, series yeah. back in the day but you well, we have it here but i know that a lot of countries don't have that but actually it's something that i i find like really really nice and and i think that it's not too difficult for federations to to do that and it's beneficial because they can get a lot more age groupers into the game yeah. which helps with getting revenue to the federation so yeah. um, but yeah and it's also passion 
Yeah, the, I mean, the age groupers bring the passion and the um, the atmosphere, and the age groupers are vital for the sport to do well because that's yep. that's that's the heart, I think, to, to yep. triathlon. Yeah. Um, do you think you, it's possible to train yourself to be able to race more often if you build up to it gradually, or just by I don't know, just being very consistent and tra- training training a fair amount, or or do you think that it's more of a yeah, there there are a certain number of times per year that you can go deep in a certain duration. I, I think you could. I think you can train yourself to race more often, but you have to have a period of consistent training leading in. And, you know, that comes back to the basic principle of training. It's It all, you know, doesn't matter what the technology is, doesn't really matter what anything is. Without consistency, you've got nothing. And I think that's the same with racing. So, um, I mean, I always know that by the end of the season I was racing better than the start because I was sharper. And um, But you do also have that little bit of a downward turn as well because you've been racing. It's the end of the season and you're tired. So you can, but you can very easily, you can, you can race yourself into race fitness, but you can also race yourself <laughs> into um, race hell. <laughs> yeah so yeah yeah. Mm. and uh when you were racing uh with a good frequency did did you use any what recovery techniques if any did you did you use or is it just a matter of the basics sleeping and eating well Uh, yeah well it was always um i'd i'd try and get out um to the next race and get the traveling done in those first three days so the race is on a Sunday and I I was always putting myself back together on the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday um, and I expected to feel awful on those days, really tired, like a real deep tiredness, um, really lethargic and any exercise I did was all about just getting the body moving again and I'd try and do my travel in that time so I'd get to the next race if there was, a you know, consecutive weekends um, and so when I got to the next race, it might be, you know, the Tuesday or the Wednesday and I could start to loosen myself up and start to feel a little bit more human. Um, but, yeah, it was – the recovery was hot and cold. <laughs> hot, you know, you might be in a hotel room so you just have a hot shower and a cold bath. <laughs> yeah. Um, icing, massage, good, you know, strong massage. And um, we didn't have them in, back in the day but those leg – recovery the boots, normal all, boots yeah all that all that sort of stuff now that athletes have got is brilliant yep. yeah um let me see here uh yeah i have one more question which is uh at what point do you think you're in a cycle of you're just tapering and recovering so it you're actually losing fitness and performance because you you never had time to train like it, is, is there any point where you feel that okay i need to get in a bigger training block now because i've been racing too much yeah, well, I would I would do that. Um, so I would I loved basing myself in Australia. So I was quite unique that I would pick races, go and do them, come back, put myself back together, um, and I wouldn't. I would find a racing block of four weeks, four to five weeks, and I'd need to get myself back home and start training again. Um, four weeks was max. I could race three weekends max on my own. I mean, sorry, on consecutive weekends. Um, but then I would start to feel that it was all sort of falling apart and there was no real training going on and just it was just tiredness and 
going flat out. But we didn't do sprint races. We did, that was full Olympic distance each weekend. Mm. So I think you could probably do it if you were doing, you know, the um, world triathlon circuit these days, it would, it would be like sort of four weeks and then you'd have to put yourself back together. Yeah. Um, with regard to, you know, longer distances, I couldn't imagine you could do, well, one Ironman, you have to put yourself back together. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. How, how long of a – did you feel then when you got back to the training block when you had recovered after the last race – did you feel that you had actually lost a bit of fitness or did did you have the same fitness? Did you manage to maintain it? And, and how long then would you need to train, have that training block last before the next block of training, racing? It would, uh, well, it was sort of in the season. So you, you sort of had about um, four or five weeks max and then you would go over and do some races again. Yeah. But I would find that I really struggled with finding the speed because I, the tiredness was there. So the volume of training between racing blocks was down but the quality I tried to keep um, and, you know, the, the bike riding, there were less quality sessions but I still tried to get keep the speed there and the volume overall was down um, mm. but I tried to have the consistency there. Yeah. Do you think that there would be a, a, a case there where you might actually just be really kind of um, – aggressive with your resting after the last race and, and actually just rest a lot and, and just just keep the body moving a little bit for like maybe longer than would be conventional for a week, a week and a half. And then then you could start getting back into training as you described, but but actually feel that you you had recovered fully and maybe had better access to that speed and, and not feel like you had lost it. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And I definitely do that with my younger athletes. Yeah. I'm much more cautious on people than I was on myself. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, with younger athletes, definitely it's like you just, you've got to go to a point where you start to feel tired and then back off. Mm. Don't push yourself through that. So, yeah, I'm definitely nicer to others than I was to myself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Do you have any other uh, any other pieces of advice regarding planning your racing season or any of these questions that we've covered? Um, just, I think it's really important that racing is really important and it's, you've also, sometimes you go through periods where your racing completely sucks. So to get through those periods where you can't work out why you're not performing well, you should really be smart about it and pick races that suit you. So for example, um, you know, I was a bike run specialist, so I should say I was going through a period where my racing wasn't there. I'd go and pick a race that was a wetsuit swim and a hilly bike and a tough run. So I'm probably going to win. So that's the sort of don't forget to pick races that suit you. Don't just race for racing's sake. Yeah, that's a great point. (laughs) All right. Thank you so much, Emma. This was uh, really great. Thank you. Thanks for having uh, me. And hope to see you soon. Okay. Bye. I hope that you enjoyed this episode and uh, these interviews. As always, you can find the show notes on scientifictriathlon.com with links to all the previous episodes of my guests as well as their uh, websites and social media. Next Monday, we will have a bit of a learnings from 2021 episode and uh, we'll see who will join for that. But I'm sure that the, the topic will be a really good one. I will definitely provide some of my personal learnings from 2021. So, so tune in for that. 
if you are looking for training plans or coaching services uh, do remember that at scientifictriathlon.com we offer these things and we try to make it the absolute best quality that it can possibly be the feedback that we get is typically uh, really really good so uh, check it out and if you have any questions don't hesitate to email me and uh, inquire Finally, big thanks to our sponsors, Precision Hydration, that you can find on precisionhydration.com. Go and take their free online sweat test to get a personalized hydration strategy for your next race and get 15% off your first order of electrolytes or energy products with the promo code thattriathlonshow15. And thank you to Roka that you can find on roka.com. Check out their wetsuits, trisuits, swimskins, goggles, high-performance eyewear, and prescription glasses and sunglasses and get 20% off your order with a promo code that you can get on roka.com forward slash TTS. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving triathlon.